Hello and welcome to JBL Radio. I am your host, RKG, otherwise known as Michael Miller, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And with me, in the other corner, it's red and green because we can tell colors on the podcast. It's Andrew Taylor, otherwise known as General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets, otherwise known as Bedwin. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Mike. Uh... It's good to be here. I'm looking forward to watching the lottery and having uh, a live teary a little bit later. Yeah, ha- happy lottery day, everyone. Uh, it's a fun day. Playoffs are going on. CJBL is going on. So uh, we're having a good old time. So why don't you get started? Andrew, tell us what we're going to be talking about tonight. Okay, so in our last episode, we uh, did a review of the teams that were guaranteed to be in the lottery. Uh, just have a look at quick look at what went right, what went wrong, what might they need to do moving on from here. Um, so we've obviously covered off 11 teams that were already eliminated from the playoffs this week. Uh, in this episode, before we get to the lottery, we're going to try and slam out the remaining three teams that we didn't cover last week that didn't make the playoffs, which are the Barons, the Tritons, and the Rock. Uh, sorry, the Barons, the Tritons, and the Colonels. Um, and then we're going to race through the teams that got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. So with no further ado, I'll just jump in. That sounds good to you. Let's do it. And then we'll, um, no matter where we're at, we'll take a break. If we're not done by nine o'clock to do the lottery and maybe some quick post lottery analysis, and then we'll come back and finish this off and, uh, we'll call it a night. Excellent. Okay, in that case, we will start off with the Oklahoma City Barons, who finished last season with a record of 20 and 62 for a 244 win percentage. This season, they improved to 32 and 50 for a 390 win percentage, a change of 14.6%. So, what went right? Um, Despite some really considerable changes uh, before the season and throughout the season, the team still managed to win 12 more games than they did last year. Given the team's time frame, uh, Hooker may be a better long-term option for the team than Clarkson was. Um, Dutch certainly showed that he could score lots and lots of points. Um, Hale rebounded reasonably well after a pretty poor 2026. And Malik Phillips played quite well after he was acquired in, from the Skyhawks. And um, Redman as a rookie looked quite solid. Anything else you want to add to the what went right? Um. No, I think that pretty much sums it up. I mean, they, they improved uh, quite well. They improved about 20-some wins um, in their history. This is actually their second-best finish. Uh, in 2024, they finished 34-48. and 48. So 32-50 and 50 is the second-best record in franchise history. So good job, Dan. <laughs> Long, only okay. way to go up from here. <laughs> okay, so what went wrong? Um, I would argue the team got acceptable value for Clarkson given the contract issues there, but there's a bit of a, there's now a significant duplication between Hooker, who they've acquired, um, and Washington, who that who was the, probably the main player piece acquired in the Clarkson trade. Um, I'd argue that Dutch's usage was far too high, and three years in, he still hasn't settled into a particular role. I think Commission was ta- Commission was talking in the channel last night about how. It, uh, Vandenberg has been utilized very differently in each of the previous three seasons um, as an off-ball scorer, as a runaround wing, and then this year as a secondary ball handler. I think his usage at, uh, towards the end of the season was well over 30. Um, 
that's probably not optimal. Uh, he probably needs to settle into a particular role. Um, and the other thing was that the team insisted on playing hooker at small forward um, for like 67% of the time um, after he was acquired. And to be honest, hooker's numbers in that role weren't terrible, but the lineup data tells a pretty clear story. It's a bit of an indictment. It's not a good idea. Anything else you'd like to add, Mark? Well, so I pulled up their scouting page, and it looks like they're running a grit-and-grind team philosophy, which I'm not sure is the best way to get the most out of their present personnel as it currently sits. So yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think that's fair. Yeah, but I mean, so the, I think they have one or two core pieces. I mean, Hooker is significantly younger than Clarkson, so he is basically at peak, and... Um, they will have a not quite a lottery pick this year, though the Rockets pick, which is will be just outside the lottery. I think that will be fifteenth, which is actually kind of nice because you kind of can plan about where that's going to be. Although even with the lottery tonight, you don't really have to worry about that. Um, but I mean, so they do have an asset. They do have some nice young players. Um, it seems to me they've got to figure out what kind of system they want to run. I don't think I would recommend grit and grind, but uh, to each his own. I do think that maybe a like. I think you'd suggested this before. If you're kind of starting out as a new owner, start off at like balanced and kind of work your way from there. Um, would be my unsolicited suggestion for the Barons. Yeah, look, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like the team has has made some trades this season. They've cleaned up some of the previous you know issues that previous owners or, or GMs may have created, uh, for, at least in Dan's mind. Now they just need to have a cohesive plan. I would agree with you that balance is probably the best option. Right now, if you look at that roster, the two key pillars on paper would be Hooker and Dutch. That suggests a little bit of inside and outside, and I, I think a system like balance, which can, um, can create opportunities for both, is probably best at this point. But beyond that, it's a, it beyond the system issue. It's a case of like which which big men should the team be seeking to prioritize? They've got Washington and they've got Hooker. They probably don't. They probably can't fully utilize both, particularly since they have a, a somewhat of an affection for Singletree. So, you know what what are they going to do there? Can Phillips and Dutch coexist on court? You know, I think Phillips is big enough to play small forward, but that hasn't necessarily worked long term. You know, the team's development has been compromised by a bunch of re- kind of a revolving door of GMs to date. So it just now, it, it need, Dan needs to spend this offseason saying, okay, this is what I'm building around. This is the system I'm going to implement. And we're going to make moves that are in line with those two things. Exactly. And you know what? If you feel like you need to blow it up to do that, I mean, feel free to do so. Although you've kind of given up some assets by trying to get Hooker. So, um, I mean, I, I feel like this team just needs to figure out who they are, what kind of team they want to build, and go from there. Yep. Okay, well, that will bring us to the end of the Barons and move us on to the Oakland Tritons, who finished last season with a record of 40-42 and 42 for a 488 win percentage. This year, they dropped back a little bit to 35-47 and 47 for a 427, 6% drop. What went right? What went right? Um, not much, really. Um, Francis won a scoring title again. Navigado was pretty excellent and earned himself a starting spot uh, in a weak Western Conference. Hayes showed some positive development, particularly on the defensive end, and that's all I've got. 
Switch. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm just pulling it up now to see what kind of development Dominic Lockhart had, who was from that 2025 class, yeah. was a lottery pick seventh oh. overall. I cover him in the what went wrong category, although it's not quite a uh, 100% negative. All right. Well then I'll, I'll, I'll save it for that. But I, I you know, it's going to be a boring podcast if we agree with each other, but I think we, I think we kind of see eye to eye on this one. And I mean, we've both been pretty consistent about the Tritons that we just didn't see a lot of room for improvement. And I think quite honestly, the odd, the odd thing is everything that you thought would need to happen for the Tritons to improve did happen, but they still took a step back record-wise. And that's with Navigado breaking through a ceiling and hitting potential that no one had really seen, although he cooled off after the All-Star break. Um, and Lamar Francis not falling off a cliff. And you'd think with those two things that you'd have a team that would be significantly above 500. But Francis missed uh, a pretty decent amount of time. And when that happened, really the, the wheels fell off. And the wheels fell off in the season. They fell off a of playoff contention. He only missed 11 games, but that was enough to do it. Yeah, look, I think that if you look at where the Rockets finished, and that was three wins ahead, um, I think it's fair to say that the Tritons probably would have made the eighth spot like we both predicted uh, in the season preview, um, if it hadn't been for that. But in terms of what went wrong, look, we thought they were going to make the eighth seed. They clearly wanted to make the eighth seed. I don't think Duncan would have been uh, happy with it. If you asked Duncan before the season, I don't think he would have been happy with missing the playoffs. Uh, and for a team with considerable star power in terms of Navigato and Francis and without a huge amount of significant in de internal development yet to come, this team remains pretty firmly on the treadmill. Um, Lockhart was really solid again defensively, um, but he definitely regressed offensively, sorry, defensively, but he regressed offensively. He was pretty bad offensively in his first year. Um, that Particularly that front half of that season, he was shooting the ball horrendously. That really improved last year and, and it has gone backwards a little bit this season. Um, but that could just be up and down development. The thing that kind of really mystified me though was the fact that the team continued to split time pretty evenly between Jamison and Hood this year. Um, Jamison's PER was probably four points better on the balance. The lineups with Jamison were better. Jamison had a better on and off. I don't know what blackmail information that Hood has on Duncan, but realistically, I, I don't see why that wasn't like a, a 32 to 16 minute split, but instead it was a 24, 24 kind of split. And I don't think that helped the team at all. And I mean, I remember, uh, I remember we talked about him. We said, give him like a quick hook, like 10 games and that's it. And he's got 75 starts and 82 yep. games. And uh, yeah, I, there, there's nothing really redeemable there. Um, uh, that, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand why they didn't play Jameson more. He clearly was the better performing player over the course of the season. And it's not even close, really. No, it's, I think it's like a 9.5 PER to a 14 PER and it's like 46 on to something off versus 46 down for Hood on the court. It's a pretty clean, pretty clean call, I would have thought. Um, so what does this team need to do? Um, unlike the often joked about Jerome's who actually do have some internal upside or the Jailbirds who, remain, who have remained a very strong team, the Tritons seem firmly stuck where they are. Um, despite some significant talent on the roster, they have failed to make the playoffs. Again, I think that's two misses out of the past three. Uh, and I see no evidence as this is going to change next year. Um, it is time to blow this up and start again. 
Yeah, I mean, you do not have your... The Tritons do not have their first-round pick that, this year. That is held by the Vultures. So the Volts will have at least two lottery picks in this upcoming draft. The Tritons do own their 2029 first-round pick. So no time better than now, um, really, to try to shop, shop Navigato. He's probably the player that will fetch you the most value. Maybe Grant Hayes, maybe Dominic Lockhart. And I think you're better off probably going the Jaguars route. I don't know if Duncan has the stomach to do it, but it, it's going in that trajectory anyway. Like, is it, if, as, if this team stays as is, like it did last year, does this team win even 32 games? Um, I, I could be I, I, honestly, if Francis stays at the if Francis and Navigato stay at the level they are, they will still look around 500 again next year. But I don't see what the point of that is. Yeah, I just don't. And I, I know I am probably the most strident about the there is no point being in the middle. Um, but yeah, I just I don't see the I don't see the purpose. Well, stride away on to our next team, which is the Austin Rockets. Okay, um, we're doing the Austin Rockets before the Louisville Colonels because we're doing it in um, record order, not in terms of seed order, um, because the Austin Rockets did indeed make the playoffs. Uh, this year, last year, they had a record of 43 and 39 for a 524 win percentage. And this year, they had a 38 and 44 record for a 463. So a slight drop on last year. But in terms of what went right, that was a pretty good outcome. Firstly, the team was still able to make the playoffs, albeit with a sub-500 record, in a year that they had actively chosen to be a transition year. Um, Evans had his best year as a pro. Buchanan was uh, surprisingly competent at a, as a makeshift small forward. Um, Donovan Bush was decent as a rookie, although he did have the traditional rookie shooting issues. Um, and, but his defense looked pretty solid. So I think he could improve quite quickly if that shot starts to drop a little bit more frequently next year. And I think the addition of, of T-Rex to the team, um, and actually if you factor in Buchanan and play power forward, actually gives them some pretty solid front court depth. That's what yeah. I've got for the positives. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we talked about ad nauseum, and I think Comey talked about on his podcast um, or – in various writings that this Rockets team was going to have to blow it up in a certain ways last off season because their financial situation with Bracey and with Berkeley was untenable and they did have to make some moves and they did make some moves and the outcome is really only five games difference. They went from 43, 39 last year and the seventh seed to 38 and 44 and still made the playoffs. And they did isn't that. that isn't, isn't that, isn't that hugely complimentary to Obi-Wan and Burke? Um, how is that? How is that complimentary to them? <laughs> oh, you're being you're being facetious, my friend. Uh, I may indeed be. Being my sarcasm meter is not awake yet, even though it's. Uh, it, uh, isn't, isn't it your nighttime? Evening. <laughs> it is my nighttime. My brain is starting to shut it down for the evening, apparently. Um, okay. So I. But yeah, I think that tells you all you need to need to know about Bracey and Berkeley is that they were replaced by, uh, I guess, replacement level players at the wing position, and the difference was five games in the standings. So in terms of what went wrong, honestly, I'd say not much. It was a scheduled down year, as we've said, after they finally got rid of Obi-Wan and Burke. It could be argued the team gave up a little too much of its already limited draft capital to acquire Vidmar, who may not ultimately be the best fit for a pace and space system given he can't shoot. But he wasn't too bad after they acquired him. Um, and in terms of what they need to do, this team is in a really tricky spot. Yes, they got rid of Obi-Wan and Burke and, and took their 
their, their salary cap situation away from like hard cap issue levels. But they're going to enter this offseason with 90 million committed. They have no first round picks in 2000, until 2030. And whilst their star players still have some upside and their front court depth, as I said, is decent, they're still really quite shallow on the wing. Um, for this team to make significant process next year, Bush is going to have to improve dramatically and Vidmar will probably need to have a career year. Um, when, when is the Zion Jeffries breakout season? Can someone tell me when it's going to happen? I think he may just be a really efficient second to third option. Yeah, I mean, you played but I also, five complete but seasons. I also, Go ahead. Sorry, I apologize. Um, but I, I, I do wonder... I, in the system he's currently playing in with a point guard that is as ball dominant and usage heavy as Evans, I think this is what you're going to get out of him. High teens scoring, over 10 rebounds, the ability to stretch the floor. He's still an excellent player. I still, I'm really, really high on Jeffries, but I think we probably need to um, amend our expectations. If we're suddenly expecting him to end up being like a 22 and two uh, and 12 guy, I just don't see that on this team. He did. T- it looks like he did take a step back this year, um, at least in terms I have, of. I would, have said, I would have said largely flat, like a slight step back, but close enough that it's. I, I don't view it as a an active decline. Yeah, I I see it a little bit differently. I think it's. I don't want to say an active decline, but certainly a decline. Certainly at least a blip. Yeah, but I. I but again, I I think that if you think about it, though, right, like. Last year, they had other other players on the team that would have gener- um, would have kept the defense honest. Berkeley can score the ball. Bracey can do some things. Um, look, I, I think that you know the reality is this year they had a they were a more limited team, and 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 honestly, that that just that change in spacing and that change in defensive attention is enough to uh, um, accommodate, account for the minor decline in Jeffrey. I wonder if this is a team if they should maybe with Evans, try to space the ball around a little bit more and get Jeffries uh, and Sprinkle more involved. Yeah, I, I think he has at one point tried to put Jeffries as the um, the primary offensive player to address that, but I'm not sure how worked that well it worked. I have a funny feeling that the numbers went up, but the efficiency went down. So as I said, it may just be that Jeffries' ceiling is at a as a you know 2A or 2B rather than a, a you know a 1. Could be. Um, I do think it. Uh, Evans made a very nice jump efficiency-wise this year, even yes. though he wasn't selected for the All Star break. He he really improved. He basically doubled his win share. He did double his win shares more than double, and his win shares per forty-eight offensive efficiency improved by um, almost uh, seven whole points. Um, so he's really taken a step forward. I think into being a more complete player on offense. Yeah, look, he's he's never. I, I, all, all if you look at Evans' stat line from this year, and you and you look at it, and honestly, the only thing you'd say is you wish you could knock off another half a turnover. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, that's about it. I think you like probably do that. Like he 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 averaged three point two six last year, three point nine three this year. I think if you tone down the usage a little bit, and maybe there's a way instead of going all the way to putting Jeffries on playmaker, I'm wondering if there's a way either through privacy. Or ten, yeah, te- through tendencies, or even now with play types, if maybe there's a way it, to to get more, get more of Jeffrey's play types in the system they run, and by doing that, maybe you'll get a few more possessions 
uh, Jeffrey's way over Evan's way. Just yeah, look, I think that's the case. But I also, I also think you know, you may find that with some better talent on the wing as well, that would be addressed the same way. Yeah, and that, um, that's probably true too. That'll help get better looks, I think, because, because the wing I mean, if the if the team does actually start Bidmar next year, at least that is a second person on the court who can handle the ball. He can't shoot, but he can handle the ball as a secondary playmaker. Yeah. So I think that might be beneficial as well. Um, well and the other and the, thing I think they might, the other one thing that I, I just wrote down as a, a kind of final note was they have three second round picks, I think, this year. And if they can find at least one solid rotation guy out of that, that would probably be quite helpful. They have only three second round picks. Last they looked, they had like a bajillion. They traded, they three, to, they traded three, I think, to get Bidma. They have four. They still have four. And they have four in 2029. So they have eight second-round picks over the next two years. Yep. They can get some wings with that. Uh, as I said, they just need to hit. They need to hit. In the next two years, if they can get two rotation players out of that, they're in good shape. But realistically, they, they have that, that is one of the few windows they have available to them to improve from here. So I think that is enough about the Rockets, and we can move on to the Louisville Colonels. All righty. Last year they... Last year with Kelvin Hawes, they finished with a record of 46 and 36 for a 561 win percentage. This season, they finished with a 42 and 40 for a 512 win percentage, a drop of 5%, but a very, very easily understandable. What went right? Did you know this team finished over 500? I seem to recall reading something. Oh, maybe like, I don't know, 500 times or so. Jokes <laughs> um, <laughs> aside, this was a pretty good season for the Colonels. Uh, moving on with uh, moving on from Kelvin Hawes and then getting yep. this close to that record with, was a really excellent result. Uh, Mason and Thibault both had good years, um, particularly Thibault. That now that the you know now that the free Thibault campaign has finally you know finally actually achieved its end goal, um, the team was able to move on from KB Dollar Sign. And whether you agree with that or not, it was what the team wanted to do. Um, Sparrow has been a really pleasant surprise. Um, they have a heap of picks, close to max cap space, and a spare point guard in Baptiste, who looked good in the couple of games he played before the end of the season. And the Witcher was pretty good at small forward after they got rid of KB. And Tywin Cook, uh, the much derided Tywin Cook, actually had a very solid rookie year. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with their, I guess, two lottery picks this year. Um, especially because it looks like they, their need seems to be really clear. Uh, obviously, they've hit on Thibault. They've hit on Mason, which is really good. They have some nice point guard depth, even though they've, they've put Baptiste on the market. But even if they keep him, uh, Sparrow look, has looked good. Um, Taiwan Cook has looked good. So um, it'll be really interesting to see. It, their, their needs are clear, I think, and what kind of player they're looking for. Tyrone Window. <laughs> who, who are they looking for? Tyrone Winder. Tyrone, well, there you go. Yeah, well, I mean, Winder would, Winder would be a perfect has, fit for this team. Said, they, they, need, they need a scoring wing. If they, I mean, because uh, what's his name? Cyril Fisher or whatever the fuck it is. I'm just calling him the Witcher. But like the Witcher looked really quite good as a defensive small forward. They have Cook who can play swing forward. They have a front court lockdown. They have a point guard who can distribute the ball efficiently. They just need a, a, a strong alpha scorer. And I think Winder would be exceptional on this team and they'll have two swings at the uh and they'll have two two at bats to get there well even going a little bit further down like if uh, let's say their lottery oh, picks kittles. Don't show. kittles yeah kittles 
I mean, there's so there's Kittles. Haywood has looked pretty good. He averaged 16.5 points per game. Um, Devin Samuels of UConn averaged 15.5 points per game shooting guard position. So this is actually a good draft if you're looking for a wing. Um, yeah, I think those are probably your top scoring types. But you, you'll be able to get, I think, one of those somewhere in the lottery and maybe even package up if you absolutely need to to get what you're looking for. So it's a good lottery for them to have lottery picks. It does make sense. I think Keyshawn Benjamin is a potential to be a special player. I think, like you'd said, whether they gave up on him a little bit too early is questionable, but it does seem like they got good value back, and they've got a lot of nice pieces to kind of figure out what kind of team they want to build. Yeah, so in terms of what went wrong, I said I don't think they should have traded KB, but putting that aside, they did get a return that will allow them to choose their own path forward. Um, and the lottery this year, obviously, is a key part of that. Shooting guard was the problem for them all year, but Nash is gone now. Nash is now out of contract. Knox is gone. Myers probably isn't the long-term starting option, but the team certainly has their tools to fix it. So, obviously, what we just talked about. Um, and basically, honestly, they have a strong, cohesive young front court. They have two starting quality point guards. They have decent cap sheet. They have lots and lots of picks. There are there are probably no teams that ha- are in that kind of middle ground of the league that have a healthier foundation to build upon than the Colonels do. So don't fuck it up, Zold. Yeah, and just looking at their unrestricted free agents, Jackson Myers is unrestricted, Kendall Nash, that MLE is over, Danian Weidman and Cyril Wilson-Fisher, the Witcher, as you call him. Uh, Thibiel is an $18.5 million option, which I would bet they're going to pick up on and maybe make him extension eligible. I think their only bad contracts, as I look at them, is they have Juan Maurice on a $5.25 million expiring. And the only Ajay? other one that, uh, is Ajay. Well, yeah, I was going to bring up Ajay at $8 million, but I would think they could be able to get a second-round pick or something for Ajay if they shopped him aggressively. Ajay is a good player. He just isn't consistent. And at, I, I do wonder if, if he actually ends up somewhere and gets a solid opportunity, probably not on a good team at this point, um, and he develops some consistency, he will become a, a reasonably valuable asset. I think he's an interesting re- um, reclamation project for that reason, because when he's good, he is very good. Yeah. He shot 38% for your Bullets team this year from three point. That's not bad. As I said, it, the problem was, though, that he'd have a great game and then a shocker. Yeah. It, 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 honestly, it, the, 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 the getting a few assists, decent Look. rebounding for a shooting guy because of his height, defense was... You know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with his game. He just doesn't put it together consistently. My, so my scouting is likely shit because of the money I put into it, but here are the last three lines. Needs to improve his decision-making, especially as a guard. He's been in the league for a while now, but still has games where he doesn't seem engaged or is too passive. And consistency is an issue. It's like you wrote it yourself. Yep. Uh, as I said, it, it, I don't even need to look at the scouting. You just, I, as I said, having him for half a season, it was very, it was very clear that's, how, that, that's the issue in his game. So... That will bring us to the end of the Colonels, and we'll move us on to the St. Louis Skyhawks, who finished previous season with 41 and 41 for a dead even 500. This season, they won two more games and finished at 43 and 39 for a 524 win percentage for a 2.4 game. Progress. Go ahead. So, um, what went right? The team made the playoffs. 
Johnson had a really strong season in his first season as the undisputed alpha of the team after they punted Hunter out the door. Kamga had by far his best season to date, although I'm not convinced that he made the over-under targets that we set for him. Um, I blame Woodley. Um, the, t- the team reunited with its ex, and Novak was mighty fun in a bench roll down the stretch. Uh, Woodley was solid uh, upon his addition to the team, um, but most notably, probably, um, Austin Krebs looks to be a real steal um, for a second rounder. Yeah, I almost wonder what you do with Woodley at this point, because Krebs has looked so good. I'm wondering if you try to shop Woodley and get back some of what you paid to get him. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've got some comments around that, Dan, in the um, in what's next kind of comment uh, in the no, what next section, because I think there is some uh, duplication that probably needs to be addressed on this roster. Yeah, uh, to, to add, ahead. so the, the Johnson, Berkeley, Vulicic, Krebs, and Kamga lineup in 200 minutes finished plus 54 with a 12.8 net rating. Yep which is quite good. Uh, so that, I think, would be your base to build off of for next year. And um, basically trying to move the players who don't fit that for assets to build your bench. Yeah. Um, in terms of what went wrong, Cro- uh, Will Crochet did not have a good rookie season. Uh, Berkeley scored the ball well again, but was still only barely above replacement value, which isn't optimal when you're paying him $16 million. But honestly, for what was effectively a complete overhaul uh, overhaul year, that's about all I've got. Um, as you said, they've discovered some really good core lineups this season, but they don't really have any picks and they'll have limited limited cap space. So they'll struggle to improve much more from here, I think, internally. Um, if the team is actually committed to Burke and Camga long-term, I'd really like them to see if they can move Woodley or Crochia or some combination of those two to find a stronger small forward. Um the lineup with uh, Sasha is fine. Like the, the lineup itself is good, but I think if you could find a, 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 a decent two way small forward, who's a little bit more of an offensive threat than Sasha, I think that could be a really dynamic lineup. Um, yeah. So that's probably what I'd be looking to see them do. Yeah. I mean, without doing anything, the Skyhawks are very likely going to be over the 95 million mark just because they already have 83.6 million connected for cap next year. Uh, if they decline their two team options, they can get that just over 80. But Jamal Johnson is a restricted free agent and he will get the max. So put them over 100. 100. Yeah, yeah, before before they uh, even do anything. Yeah. They have even- the fireballs first this year, which will be very late. And they have one second and they forfeited their own second. So they have the Thunder second and the fireballs first this year. Yeah, I, I just think the team, given if, 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 Cam, if they're committed to Camga, and Krebs looks like a long-term potential starter at the four, then they cannot justify Woodley's salary. Yeah. Simply, yeah. simply put. So the best option would be to move Woodley for one or two, you know, contributors in various places they need. Um, as I said, small forward is something they could definitely look to address. Um, but their, their starting front court, you know, could quite easily be Kamga and Krebs moving forward at center and power forward. Um, Woodley's a nice bench piece to have, but not at that price. Yep. Yep. I think we're in agreement. I think Woodley's a sacrificial lamb. If not him, then Berkeley, if you're intending to develop Crochier. But I think you could find a system where you could split Crochier and um, Crochier and Berkeley and still get them pretty ample minutes to get Crochier pretty ample minutes to develop. 
Well, as I said, I think you could easily put Berkeley on 28 and keep Crozier at 20, which is sufficient for development. And then at the end of Berkeley's contract, revisit that based on where they're at. That wouldn't be the worst thing to do in this situation. But he is right now, he is not a a required player. And I would say the same of Woodley, which is why I listed those two. Okay, let us move on to the Dallas Predators. Last season, they finished with a 48-34 and 34 record for a 585 win percentage uh, and then had an unfortunate loss in the first round of the playoffs. This season, they finished with 46-36 and 36 for a 561, which was a, a, a minuscule drop of 2.4. Um, what went right? Um, the team engaged in what was ultimately a failed experiment and still made the playoffs, so there's that. Um, Acosta held relatively steady despite a situation that I really don't think favoured the wings. Fisher was an upgrade on Barber. Stackhouse had a better year, a better, more efficient year than the year before. Uh, and the, finally, the team found a number of starting kind of lineups, uh, line, core lineups that actually worked. Um, but in terms of what went wrong, uh, which is far more interesting for this team, Hunter at Power Forward did it not work. But Hunter at center absolutely didn't work. Um, but the team, there's a lot of evidence in the lineup data, if you, if you dig through it, that suggests the team was better with other players at power forward rather than Hunter. Yes, Hunter at power forward was a positive lineup, but there are other positive lineups with lesser quality players who are a better fit at power forward. Um, so, and I think there's a lot of other circumstantial evidence that suggests that the spacing created by the two towers um, negatively impacted Acosta's shooting um, and, and, and Sanford as well. Particularly Sanford saw his like three-point shot absolutely collapse this year. I think last year he shot like 430 or something like that. And this year it was like just under 300 or something like that. Like it was a really noticeable decline. Um, anything else you want to point out? I feel like if this team just had made no moves in the offseason and just kept Barber and kept their starting lineup from the year before, they would have won 50 games somewhat easily and probably have gotten home court. I reckon if they'd, I reckon they would have done better with Fisher than with Barber. But yes, I don't think, uh, I don't think Hunter was a helpful acquisition. Um, and, and that's kind of what I touch upon in, the, in the what's kind of next for this team. The team's not in bad shape. They have all their picks moving forward. Um, however, if they were able to move Hunter or had never signed him, they would have max cap space this season and would probably be the most highly attractive free agency destination in the league. Well, that's partially um, that, that's what? partially true because they have Sanford as an unrestricted as a restricted free agent who is going to eat up cap. Okay, that that's fair. So, but they'd still have a, a yeah okay they'd still have a reasonable healthy okay I did the math wrong. I mean, but but even all right, but but even if let's say hypothetically, and this is the problem with the Hunter contract. So they have sixty nine point three committed this year, where before they have to resign Sanford. Let's say Sanford gets twenty. Well, now they're eighty nine million. Acosta is in the last year as a team option. He's going to be a restricted free agent the year after that, and you're still going to have fifty nine point one committed, and um, that is with what are their big contracts? And well, they still will have. Hunter and Fisher under contract when Acosta and uh, Sanford get their money. Um, and even that la- the, and the real danger zone is 2030 because Hunter and Fisher are player options uh, for a combined 29 million. 
So, and that's when the Stackhouse contract ends and he'll be looking for a raise. So I know that they're safe. I agree that they're safe for like the immediate future, but the trouble's coming down the pike unless they make some decisions in the next yeah, season. And, 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 and like my final comment for this is, is for this team was this build hasn't flatlined, but it definitely needs some minor surgery. Um, let's see. How did Acosta do this year? Acosta showed some nice improvement. He went As up- I said, he, he improved in some ways, was slightly down on the net, but I would absolutely, like I said with Jeffries, I have no doubt that the, the spacing fucked both of I, I think the spacing fucked both the wings over. Yeah, the spacing, and I do think Fisher, with how much of a ball handler he is, because I think Acosta has some playmaking ability that's a little bit neutered um, when you have a primary playmaker like Fisher involved. Yeah. But we'll see. It, it, to me, Dallas is one of the more interesting teams because I could just see them going in a variety of directions depending on what if they can get any – if they are interested in moving and being active and if they can get value for Fisher and Hunter after this year. Okay. I would agree with that. I, I do find their path forward quite interesting. Uh, so that brings us to the New York Renegades who finished last season with a 49 and 33 uh, win percentage for a 598. This season they finished 47 and 35 for a 573, which was a minor decline on last year. So what went right? Uh, they made the playoffs. Harold probably had his best season. Um, Slattery had a relatively efficient year settling into a clear kind of number two option, number two role behind Harold. Uh, the t- the team managed to acquire Dozier mid-year, which was a pretty good addition of talent um, given the available resources, and he performed at career-best um, efficiency levels once he got there. Um, what didn't go well is far more relevant, though, with this team. Um, the team got Big Dick Energy Swept, sponsored by Cialis, by the Kangs. Uh, Dozier Big Dick Energy Swept. <laughs> gotta say it like that. Big Dick Energy Swept. Yes, where you're heading there with that, with that. Um, Dozier, look, Dozier has a lot of talent um, and is a really excellent complementary player. The issue is, I think the team's biggest issue was that they needed a third offensively minded player, not offensively minded, but a third genuine scorer to kind of keep the defense a little bit more honest. And Dozier does a lot of things, but I don't think that, I think that's probably the one thing he doesn't do. Um, also, adding Dozier minimized the team's usage of Chapel, uh, and I think that was really unfortunate because um, Tyree actually works really well against uh, next to Slattery as a defensive counterpart. You know, we've been talking about this for five years that uh, Slattery needs to be paired with a particular type of player, and Chapel has probably uh, embodied that ideal utopian concept better than any other player has to date, and kind of got. He went into a very diminished role once um, Dozier got there. Um, and neither uh, Damasca or Dembele were quite as good this year as they were the prior year. Man, I mean, this team is so and, interesting. Go ahead. And now, the, and now for the what do they need to do? This is an ugly picture. The team, this team will enter the offseason over the cap, including options, with only seven players on the books. It has no draft picks at all until, until until 2030. It has no firsts until 2031. 
Um, Rich is clearly committed to winning and has pushed uh, all his chips in really aggressively over the past one and a half seasons, acquiring Harrell, acquiring Slattery, acquiring Dozier. However, given their asset base and their financial position, there is a real possibility, particularly in a really loaded East, where I don't really see any of the teams in the East above them getting worse immediately. Maybe the Jailbirds, if some, if there's some, if there's some more serious and expected age issues, um, there's a real possibility that they're never going to get further than this. They're never going to be better than an eight seed. Can I can I go nuts here for a second and just go kind of? Might as well. I agree with you. It's pretty dire. So why not just go fucking batshit crazy and just try to go all out? And and here's here's what I think. You trade trade decline the two team options. Trade Dozier and whatever you trade for, they have to take the Nibeli contract and Kamara if he picks up his option. So you only have Harrell and Slattery, which is fifty two million, which leaves you a twenty eight million dollar max. Put all of that into Darius Barry. Get Darius Barry over here. So now you have 80 million tied up in three players and just go mince out everywhere else. Maybe use your MLE. It's almost like the heat build with Bosch, uh, Bosch Way and LeBron. And maybe you get lucky with some mincels. But I almost wonder if you do that. It's, it's fucking crazy. But on paper, Harold Slattery and Barry could work. Um, you know, especially if you sign, maybe you sign and trade. Uh, Damasca and do do something with that, or maybe you keep your rights on Damasca and figure out some way to do it so that you can. Well, you, you'll probably have to renounce Damasca actually if you do that. But I'm just saying, why not go fucking crazy and just get a max player and just max it all out and see what the hell happens with three all star level players? Um, so you're basically suggesting he turns his team into like a crash test dummy for our entertainment. Well, I, is, is, there, is there other paths any better? I'm not, I'm not suggesting there's another better option, but I'm suggesting is that what you're suggesting? I'm asking is that what you're but suggesting? What, what, what I'm saying is I think they need an aggressive move. You know, and maybe I think they need to blow it up. And, I think they need to blow it up and start again. I think, I think the New York Renegade, I think this, this New York Renegade's build um, in the future, and whether he keeps it, whether Rich keeps it together for a few years, and, and experiences a few more first round exits, or whatever, whatever, whatever may be, I think this is going to be looked back on as the textbook example of of timing your window, um, and the dangers of bringing in the money at the wrong times. Well, you say you have you say, to have. You- you have to have a. You have to have the right foundation. You have to have some some rotation players and things already locked in place. Once you start layering on that salary, because once you hit ninety five, you literally cannot do fuck all. You say blow it up, but where is there going to be market interest for Slattery? And for Harold, is anyone really beating down their door for to to make your point guard your key player? And, and has the assets to give it up. Someone, someone would, someone would pay for both. I'm not saying they'd end up with a profit, but someone would pay for both, and they would start again with some picks and a lot of fucking money. Yeah, I, I, me, I'd probably go the other direction. I'd sell it out for one more year. You do have Harrell under contract for three more seasons after this. Slattery is an expiring deal, and maybe you kick the tires. But I just, 
I just don't think there's going to be a team that would give the volume of assets to make blowing it up worthwhile this year. I almost wonder if you can go all in this year. And then after that, you have your 2031st. My theory is no pathway to go all in. Your option is not theoretically better on paper than this option. This is not all in. They don't have enough. They don't have the mechanisms to get to all in. They don't. Go three max players. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. Okay. Rich, uh, I want to make sure that uh, it's very clear that 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 crazed advice is uh, not uh, co-signed by me. Cool. Moving on to the Seattle Thunder. Uh, Seattle Thunder finished last season with a 44 and 38 record for a 537 win percentage. This season, they finished with a 50 and 32 record for a 610 win percentage, an improvement of almost 7.5%. So what went right? They got to 50 wins. They almost managed home court. They pushed a solid team to seven games in the first round. So stop sucking, Luke. Uh, FIFA was FIFA and Wall Cup broke out. In brackets, I've also written, but only on defense because I don't want to upset Andrew. Um, Roland made the all-star team and both Sullivan and Lawson um, made steps in the right direction. Made steps in the right direction. Um, the really, the only issue on this team is MBJ. He's just not there yet. Yeah, his turnovers his turnovers are too high. Year. What? It's it's the second year. No, I know, but like that, but that's that's what it is. Like you know, and I, I think Luke was disappointed with the um with the outcome this season, but he really shouldn't be because MBJ has shown some really healthy flashes, but right now his turnovers are too high. His shooting is insufficient. The reality is this team is like has the fifth best defense in the league. And with uh, MBJ actively serving as an anchor on the D, on the offense, the offense is up to 14th. If yeah. MBJ flips and gets there next season or the season after, their offensive rating will probably jump close to 10 spots. And then they're looking at a team that has a kind of top five offense and defense. They, they, will, they will move to, if MBJ takes that next step or when it happens, uh, and I think it will happen at some point, they will immediately become a contender. But this year, he was just an anchor. And I mean, fine. look, point the, the, the big concern, I think, about Butler when he came in to the JBL was his defense because his defense looked porous. He's been starting on a team that finished. You said top five in defense? They finished first, right? But they were top five. I think they were fifth this year. Fit. And he's not – his defensive rating was 112.6, which is less than Zach Lynch, but it, that's not horrendous. So he's not dragging it down, you know. He, he's not so far off from your wings. Like Pfeiffer was 110.7. So he's dragging it down, but not to the point where it's having a real impact. So that's where not – that, not, that, not that Butler needs to have a dramatic Harrell-like impact on defense, but the concern was, was he going to be a drag down? And he's clearly not. I'm a big believer that the offense will come if Luke is patient, and I'm sure he will be patient and just put the training and feeding and put the ball in his hands. Um, like you said, he showed some improvement, and that's really it. Everything else is coming around at the right timeline. He's building all of the cohesion. He has a good mix of veterans and youth. They're a year ahead of schedule. Um, like I, I've said many times in the general chat, it, it's funny to me how much it looks like the Vipers and Thunder on parallel lines just because they drafted key players in the same drafts. 
And um, I, I think that they're both kind of on that similar timeline. And I don't think the Thunder have to do anything other than tweak their training camp settings, probably. Yeah, look, uh, I think in, in, and in terms of like what I've got down for them, it's I think also in terms of Butler, MBJ's um, efficiency, I do think the fact that he's playing time at shooting guard as well may be a drag on his numbers as well, particularly his um, shooting efficiency. But obviously that one's a hard one to prove. Um, uh, so basically, look, the team doesn't have a first-round pick till 2030, but it does have a narrow window of salary cap space before Walcott gets maxed. This season, it's this off-season, it's going to be real. Is actually low-key vital for them because this is a chance for them to lock in some more good bench depth before the money dries up. Um, they need to re-sign Lynch to keep a good backup point guard, uh, which should be possible to do cheaper than he's currently on the books for. Um, and they should also probably look at a center or a shooting guard. Um, shooting guard would allow them to stop MBJ playing. <coughs> Big pun. Bless you. Would allow them to stop having MBJ at shooting guard, which I don't think is beneficial to the team. And a center will probably be needed to replace um, Bryant King. The other one thing that I think is really nicely positive, I think Lawson is really is starting to look very nice in that uh, in that uh, the old Devin Carroll role. Yeah, I I think really the only the only rotation player they need, like you had said, is probably another shooting guard or another combo guard to help. I mean, they have Zach Lynch, but I think another shooting guard and almost platoon a little bit. I agree with you that I don't know if playing Butler at shooting guard is really the best scenario. And but. Lynch is relatively competent defensively, so they could actually probably just pair Lynch with a, a gunner. Yeah. Which so you can gunner, get relatively well, cheap. Well, I, well, that's the thing. Like, get a get a cheap gunner who can play the ten minutes that Pfeiffer doesn't play. Like, yeah. that's that. That seems like a pretty obvious option to me. But Do I don't you even know, try and jet? You, don't, you don't even need to spend a ton of money on that. No, so they're not particularly expensive types. Do we want to try and jam one more team in before we hit the thing? Yeah, let's do it. Let's jam okay. it. In. The Miami Cyclones. Uh, that's 30, they finished last season with a 36 and 46 record for a 439 win percentage. This season, they made a dramatic gain, and they won 57 uh, win, 57 wins and 25 losses for a 695. That is a 25.6 percent jump on last year. It is the biggest jump of any of the teams that we have discussed so far, uh, and they were almost able to sneak into home court in a challenging Eastern Conference. Uh, they had the third best defense in the league and all three of their stars had uh, very strong years. They were, and now straight into the what went wrong because nothing really needs to be talking about beyond that. Unlucky, they were unlucky to meet the second best team in the league in the first round as a five seed. Um, yep. The only real negative for the Cyclones is that their kids aren't ready yet. Uh, Potter, Milo, uh, Latavius Morgan and Basha Alston all failed to take a considerable step forward this year and they were either flat or slightly down. And ultimately what this meant was that the team was, an, was unable to put together a bench lineup worthy of the awesome net ratings generated by the starters. I think their starting lineup has like a... Their two most commonly used lineups have like an average of a 20 net rating. Yeah. They just don't have the bench part yet. Um, the team doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, it doesn't have any picks. But what it does have is a decent array of young talent. They just need to re-sign Tucker this off-season and hope that one or the two, one or two of the kids I just mentioned, takes that step forward. Because if they do that, this team is plausibly a contender as of next year. 
Yeah. No, I, well, and we had pinned them that they're probably going to be a strong contender for next year with a year of cohesion just because of the major players that they added. Um, I think for me, the big guy who has to come forward is really Vasha Alston, who has pretty much disappeared. Um, his, mittens, his, his mitts declined. He went from averaging 10.9 points per game to 6.7 this year. He basically declined all across the board. Shooting, shooting percentage declined. Uh, PR declined. He declined everywhere. Um, slightly up in win shares per 48, but I think that's probably because of his surrounding talent. You know, so he, right, I think he's the X factor to me. If he can get back on track and really kind of find his role next year, top to bottom, that's a really solid starting starting lineup. And I think you can get by with a couple of min sales to help with that bench because the starters will be so good. But um, I think that, that that that's where you really need to see how he looks coming out of the gates next year, if the Cyclones are going to be true contenders or if they're going to have a flaw that really make them exposable early on like it was this year. Yep. I think we're all in agreement there. And that leaves us with only two teams left, which are the two tight teams where we get to get extra spicy. So I think we should probably leave them aside. Yes, and you're talking about the Warriors and the Mustangs. So... You know, yep. I, I think I, I hope they're still alive. I hope that uh, KB and, and D that they didn't drink themselves silly, and that no, no, they're, D, uh, D, you, yeah. But you, you no, you see, you're overlooking the you're overlooking the benefit of Di's approach. If you never have anything other than extremely bad expectations, you're never disappointed. <laughs> spoken spoken. If like you complete, if you can completely internalize the fact that you are guaranteed to lose, if you can convince yourself that nothing good will yeah. happen, it can't hurt um, you. I have, Beautiful. I have to read. Uh, so I'm looking at the draft lottery live screen, and I have to register. I have to register a complaint. It's. I, I understand why we do it, but I wish we were some way we didn't have like the actual. Because, like for example, the bullets logo is on here, but you don't have your first. You don't have a first round lottery pick this year. So now I'm like, who does that go to? There has to be. He goes easy- to the stars. He just wrote it in the challenge. He he literally just wrote it in the channel. What ones they are? Okay. Well, I don't have the Slack open. I'm sorry. I'm recording. He's also Slack. just. He's also saying because you're sucking. I can change it. Okay. <laughs> so you could maybe the logos will suddenly miraculously change. See, all I need to do is whine on the podcast. So. You know what? Can I start complaining about all the fouls that came up in the Jailbirds Vipers game? Just so many fouls. Just so many fouls. Oh, jeez. I also complain about Cheney. How the hell is that guy still alive? Fuck that guy. Fuck <laughs> that guy. How much did he put up today? I wasn't really looking at the guy. I wasn't really up, watching. I think, I think I between saying. the two games, he put up close to 70 points offhand. Yeah. I, I was busy doing podcast prep, so I didn't get to watch the games this morning. And Clarkson in the first game had like six blocks in the fourth quarter, and I was just throw the controller against the ground mad. So I was just like, but it's good. We won the second game, so I'm, uh, I'm Honestly, okay now. I don't think I can possibly express enough how happy I am that my run as a contending team ended before this shit. <sighs> I can't even imagine <laughs> with all the live games how you I would have watched, I would not have. I, I guarantee you I would not have watched the finals games. No <laughs> fucking way. <laughs> it's torture just watching oh my god that that double overtime game that was it was like fucking six o'clock in the morning and i like that my, my kids woke up and i'm just like trying to watch this like pretending i'm doing work and everything like that and just trying to not show my wife that i'm more my kids. Way to start the day, huh? <laughs> oh my god and then like 
just when Haslam hit that shot, it was like, oh my fucking God. But I can't even imagine being on the losing side of that. It's going to happen to all of us. It's going to happen to you too, Ben. You're going to have your time. You'll have your time in the sun. Don't you worry. What, did you step what away from your microphone? That day is not today. No, so looks like the lottery. seconds. Yep, with 20 seconds. So the ball is about to drop. Um, these are a little bit more fun sometimes when, uh, you know, you and I don't have stakes in it, So, but a lot of other people do. So it'll be fun when we go through it. So the lottery has commenced. It's officially started. So if it goes according to uh, slot, the first pick will be the Colonels. So uh, forum holds for the first pick. Usually we've had every year with the new lottery odds that at least one team jumps up. And it was, um, I think the Scorpions were, what, the 11th team last year, and they jumped all the way up to it one? Was the, it was the Tritons pick, and it was slaughtered at 11. Which was hilarious because the Scorpions traded their own first-round pick to get Astbury, and that pick ended up like third or fourth. So, yep. nevertheless. So, and uh, if form holds, and the 13th pick would be the Drones uh, once, it, once it locks up. Really, if you, kind of while we're trying to kill time, what of these teams would you think is the one that needs to win the lottery the most? Oh, give me one second. I'm going to bring up the draft odds real quickly. Uh, and the drones are the 13th overall pick while uh, the draft odds are coming up. Yeah, well, you know, it's disappointing they're not 14th to get them as close to the 15th as possible. But <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that I think that the the Scorpions, I, I'd say the, the Scorpions and the Vultures are the teams that, for me, probably need it the most. Well, uh, and the reason I say that is they do not already have a, a potential alpha on their team. Well, so the, the Tritons don't have a pick. Their pick was owned by the Vultures, which just went 12th. So yep, form, yep. Still hold, form still held there. So the Volts, their 12th pick doesn't jump, but they still do have the third best lottery odds. Um, Which is equal, equal top chance. Correct. So, um, so they're still in pretty good position. The next team is the... I'm, you know I'm going to actively cheer, right? When they don't get, if they don't get pick one, I'm going to actively cheer. Okay. Well, you actively cheer while I say that the Boston Crusaders got the 11th overall pick. I didn't even think they had their first round pick this year, but they still do. They so, have not. Um, they, they have, despite trading out the majority of their war chests, they have retained each and every single one of their future picks of their own. So they're in a. They're, they've done quite well in that regard. They have not risked their own assets uh, in any of those trades. Yeah. Uh, by the way, check your microphone. Getting a little bit of feedback, but um, the, so, yeah, while you're talking. So I think your uh, microphone might be resting up against something. So this is the this is the podcast radio you pay for. Um, so if form holds, the next pick would go to the Nashville stars and it does, it goes to the Nashville stars who, um, they don't really need a much, they don't really, really need a lot of anything at this point. I think they've got a lot of young players that might be a pick that they may be looking to move to try to get a veteran player. I think it will depend on where my one ultimately comes down to. I think we talked about them in the, um, in their review, for, in their season review, uh, whether they invested, invest both in the wings because where they, ha- there they have Barry and JT, which are both one-way guys, or whether they try to get some Gregory insurance. But we're up to number nine, which is the Denver Dragons, which I believe is also chalk. Yes, I believe that is chalk because... Nope, the, nope, the apparently Bar- first jump. 
I think the Barons may have jumped. Maybe. I'm not sure. No, no, the, the, dra- where, the dragons? Where were they meant to be? The dragons. I think the I think the barons did jump. The barons had the barons had two picks. They had uh, the rockets pick and their own pick. So that I think would be their own pick. They also have the lumberjacks pick and the skyhawks pick. But we will see. No, I think you're wrong again because the barons haven't been picked yet. It was the dragons. We just went for a ruling, and uh, you are correct that I was wrong. So, but the Knights are the eighth overall pick. Um, so, I guess that for or or did the Barons finally get jumped? Now, is that a finally pick that jumped? Or the Barons I... haven't come up yet. Okay, so the Barons have <laughs> they have jumped then? <sighs> the Barons have jumped. They've jumped up to the top four. Okay, it's owned by yes, the it's, Jaguars. It's owned by the Jag, but it's owned by the Jags. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. All right, so that so so the Jaguars have to be happy then after trading yes. all of their picks. So they at least they're guaranteed a pick in the top four. Yes, and and I only conveyed number seven. Beautiful. Congratulations! Glorious, you did not convey the win. You did not convey the winder pick. Winder. No, no tears Peter here. Winder. No live tears, Mike. Sorry. I'm sorry. So um, Hurricanes pick is still sitting there. Did that did not jump right? Uh, no, the Hurricanes pick, I think, sitting around right for well, now. Um, well, now, no. the hurricane, now the Hurricanes pick jumped because the Devils are the sixth pick. Yes. So that means that right now there's only one more non-lottery pick. Let's see who will fall out, out of the top four. It'll either be the, the Jacks, the Scorps, the Vultures, the Jaguars, oh, or the Hurricanes. And it is the Scorpions who fall out of the lottery. They will have the fifth overall pick after winning it overall last year. So Mike was not absent for the lottery last year and it worked out with him getting first overall, but not quite this year. I think Lesson it's actually is, show up for the lottery. I think that's still a pretty good spot for Mike because I think he's looking for a wing, a dynamic wing player. And I think this is draft has got a lot of shooting guard, small forward options that will, um, will meet that need to yep. complement yep. Jackson moving forward. Yeah, we talked about this before. It's a very nice wing draft, which we could even talk a little bit once the final, the final four teams are kind of slotted out to figure out where everyone's going to go. But um, I think that is a pretty nice spot for the Scorpions because they'll have their chance to pick at, uh, you know, maybe that's a place where Kittles goes. That might be an interesting place. Um, the, uh, the wing from Kansas. So um, they're going to have some nice options there. I want to see if I've ended up giving up pick number one to get Price. And that would be the uh, the Barons pick, right? The Hurricanes pick. The Barons have just got pick. number four, so the Jaguars will get that pick uh, from the Barons in the Hooker trade. So I think Hooker, who was drafted number eight, I think, yeah, uh, in exchange for pick four, I think that's a pretty good outcome for the. That's yeah. a pretty good outcome. Yes, yes, that was a nice outcome. Considering that they they bought him out this year and they could have had nothing to show for it. Um, very should. real chance now the Jack Oak. So the, the Hurricanes pick um, is the third overall pick. So you did not cool. trade the first overall pick. So really it's going to become down to Jacks or Volts. The Lumberjacks, the Lumberjacks could get pick one. Oh my God. It's very close. It'll be Jacks. Please, Please not sick. No Volts. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it again. It's going to happen. The, the, the Jacks will have the second overall pick, and that means the first overall pick will go to the Phoenix Vultures, who will have the chance oh, to draft shit. the next winder 
to develop uh, their their bottom their bottoming out has worked. And thank God he's going to the Western Conference. We need more and more talent over there. So that is so this is very very interesting outcome. So just to kind of run through it, and now that the draft lottery order is set, maybe we could shoot down and do a quick talk about needs and who would be the best kind of players for these needs. Yep. Um go ahead. Okay, so look, I think with the vaults, I think it will be almost imp- I, I think you can write basically short no of chance some- they trade this pick. As I said, I don't, think there's, I don't think there's any chance that they trade that pick. Uh, and short of an absolutely catastrophic uh, occurrence during scouting, like literally like his scouting coming up and saying, I am Ted Bundy. I will eventually kill lots of people. I can't see how Winder doesn't end up in uh, Phoenix. So I think we can just take Winder off the board. Winder's done. Um, I think the really interesting one is what the Jags do. So interesting. From, from memory, sorry, not the Jags. Sorry, the, what the Lumberjacks do with that Jags pick, um, because they're pretty covered at every spot. Um, even though Martin's aging, they still still have Sylvester and Bryant. Would they really want to invest that capital in someone like Swain? Um, on the flip side, you know, Peeler is there. Do they want to let Peeler go and bring in a replacement for Peeler at shooting guard with someone like Kittles? Yeah. Uh, or small or one of the small forwards like Haywood. Is it Haywood? I think it is. I'm trying to think yeah, Haywood. Like, Haywood. Haywood. Yeah. Yeah. So someone like Haywood or um, you know, or the one position where they're really fucked, and I think J Ron's just hit this note in the channel, is point guard. But this is not a great point guard draft. But having said Jordan that. Mack. But having said that, a guy like Jordan Mack or a guy like Tyson Rucker would certainly add an element of dynamism to that offense, which we have constantly criticized for being boring and undynamic. Yeah. I, I mean, lot, so that'll be really interesting, especially if the uh, Lumberjacks keep it close to the vest, because I I really could, like you, see them going in a variety of different directions. I mean, Porky is so versatile, and Porky is the best player on their team. He really would fit with any of those options that we've just discussed. So it really does come down to um, how they want to set their team up for the next – 10 years or so i mean this this is how though good teams stay good because i know that there's and there's some legitimate concern that the jacksons are currently constructed or topped out nothing like adding the second overall pick to get a shot in the arm for the next decade right yeah look i think this is a really good opportunity for them to basically start a second uh, a second error straight on the back of their first. There will be there will be no need for Tim to suck it up and bottom out now. Uh, and given that Tim has been talking about his team nonstop for the last couple of days about how maybe we are just really fucking average and how this is a really disappointing end to this build, um, I think he's that's probably going to be a bit of a, a pick me up for him. Um, but yeah, I, I'd I must admit I'd kind of like to see a point guard. I'd kind of like to see him take a point guard, but if he is determined to get as much as possible out of the um, the last couple of years of Peeler and Martin, uh, I would suggest a, a wing player would probably be more likely. Pushing, pushing, um, pushing McSwine back into the power forward role more. 
And you know what? If I'm the Colonels, I'm just putting my hands back behind my head, and I'm saying I'll take whoever's there between Haywood and Kittles. Uh, if I'm the Colonels, I want Kittles. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost wondering if – that. see, and this is where Tim could have a lot of power if he decides to kind of mess around, you know, mess around and just kind of uh, – because he could probably get some additional assets by swapping down a few spots. You mean, he could, bl- you mean he could blackmail someone into giving him multiple firsts so that he could move up to first to take the player he loves? <laughs> yes, <laughs> could... exactly. Yeah. All he has to do is talk that to you. That only, that only come, works come to on the colluders. Certain, that only works on certain marks, Mark. It only works on a colluder. <laughs> and only one part of the colluders. You have to guess which one. Um, uh, but we'll look, see I think, but sets up well for them. But I think the Hurricanes are in really good shape. Um, I don't see Kittles going second. Uh, so I think if the, if the Hurricanes wanted to hone in on Hiddles, uh, on Kittles, which I think would be a really good choice because I think he's a potentially two-way shooting guard, I think that would be really fantastic. Um, and uh, what should the Barons do? Well, not the Barons, the uh, Jaguars. No, the Jags. The, the Jaguars should is... take whoever's the best player left. Yeah, is there anyone, in the, is there anyone on the Jags' core that you think warrants a a any discussion about leaving that spot alone no i, I mean can you think of anyone who is a sacred cow there? I, I think they've completely blown it up adams is gone hooker's gone um i don't think they literally have anyone who will be on the team when they're next good just pulling up their roster no apparently there's, we're there's so confused literally tonight. no one fuck off Eon. okay <laughs> So keep this in mind. The Jaguars have five first-round picks in this upcoming draft. They have the Thunders, the Barons, the Renegades, the Mustangs, the Jailbirds. Only the Barons jumped in this lottery, but they have four other first-round picks. So they're just going to be taking, I think, a lot of a lot of high-potential players and hoping someone works out. Yep. So, I mean, that's somewhere where, whether it be Jordan Mack or if Swain, like if Swain falls that far, which is a realistic possibility – Jags would have to be thrilled with that, I think. I think that would be a, a pretty good starting point for them to build around again. I mean, that's that's how they built the last time with Hooker as kind of the foundation piece. Um, and in terms of any existing... T- and that wouldn't clash with any of the existing pieces on the roster as well, which is not important, but it's a nice it's a nice thing if they get to, uh, to grab a player and also still be able to utilize the players already on the roster. Yeah, it'll make so it easier that, to fatten them up and move them on. And, and I, I think that's probably most likely because the more I think about, it, like you had said, I just have I have trouble thinking the Jacks are going to be so motivated by Swain to blow up the front court, um, the front because our front court is working, and really their issue is dy- is being dynamic on the wing, and the Colonels have Mason Thibeal, so that front court's pretty done. So I think that sets up very well likely for Swain to fall to the Jags at the fourth overall pick, which would be a great outcome for them. Because by all appearances, he's arguably the second best prospect in the class. Yep. Uh, and for the Scorpions, you'd have to say the Scorpions, it's just best wing available. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because it, it'll be, when the new scouting opens up, it'll be interesting to see really how players have developed. Because you Dikembe Dallas and Cole Arnold who are sitting there, who I can tell you did not scout that well as underclassmen. Dallas is a, they don't, a they don't, they shouldn't, they shouldn't want Dallas. 
They probably don't, but I'm just saying if, if you're just looking at what is their best, their best outcome, um, and we're talking about the Scorpions, right? Yep. So you're looking at a wing. So I mean, right now you're looking at Cole Arnold or you're looking at, I don't know if, I think you'd want more of a three, you would think, right? Uh, look, I think they could accommodate either, but uh, they could accommodate either. But uh, a three would be a, na- a better fit with the existing players on the roster, like Fox. Yeah, it, it's hard at this point to really guess because we don't have the scouting available. Who would be the appropriate target here? Um, but it's likely going to be the best wing. Arnold has been consistently ranked pretty high all season this year. So, I mean, if, if we're not doing an official mock lottery right now, mock draft, but I think right now if it's slotted as we think it would, um, probably Arnold would be the, the slot here, I would think. Yep, I think, that's, I think that's fair. And I think that with the teams above, I don't think it looks like any of those will necessarily, I don't see him necessarily climbing based on what we know to date. Out of curiosity, is Dallas your lottery pick to avoid? No, we haven't talked to him yet. Okay. You want me to spill, do you want me to talk about it now? Are we gonna are we likely to get to him naturally soon? I think so. Okay. I mean, well, are we gonna go through are we gonna go through all of the lottery teams and kind of maybe stop it maybe like maybe stop in a few more? Yeah, we'll stop it a few more because we don't to be honest, the one the one last one that I genuinely want to do is the devils. Because yeah. I think that's the last one that's a genuinely interesting conversation. Yeah, because I think after that, you're talking that the Stars have the 7th and 10th overall picks, so it's almost too – it's hard to figure out what they're going to do. The Knights, it's good, It's hard to figure out what they're going to do. Especially the, Dragons with the Dragons would take the best available wing. What the Stars do at 10 is going to be dictated by what they do at 7. You know, it's, it's less interesting after that. Yeah. But the yeah, Devils – but the Devils have a have what we what we I think we've both agreed is a, a pretty locked in front court. Yep. Uh, sorry, back court rather, uh, with Valentine and yep. Harmon. Yep. Uh, and where would you think they should be going? I'm thinking that they're looking at a combo forward. Um, right? Because we're looking because I, I, I don't know if you have a lot of faith in Nikos. But maybe you're thinking of like a Derek Bynum. I don't really know how how Bynum scouts because he's a freshman. Um, yes, I did. Kyle. Sorry, that was me responding to Kyle on the channel. I apologize. Oh. Well, now that I have your attention again, um, it pops yeah. up as a notification. It's not like I'm actively ignoring you. Yeah. Well, in any event, now that I have your attention back, um, <laughs> I, I think they'd be looking forward to like a three and D type wing. Someone who doesn't need the ball in their hands, that could just shoot and play good defense. Yep. Uh, I, the problem they have is that this is the draft I really think. What I, 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 given that they've got their backcourt organized, the first thing I'd probably be looking to do, because they don't mind Tyson Shaw, uh, I, I'd be really looking to nail down center. And, and, the, and the reality is, is that after you get past Swain... There really isn't one. Yeah, like Covington. I know you probably I, like Covington, well, but Coving, Covington cannot play center in the JBL. I completely agree. Coving, Covington is a power forward. He is oh, in the JBL at I, six nine. He's a power forward. I wrote this in the channel earlier. Um, that is the exception to my rule, by the way. 
Uh, if you're listed as tweener. a power forward center or a center power forward, but you are not, if you are 6'9", you are a tweener and that you are an exception to the rule, you need to play power forward or not be in the league. My, my comp for Darius Covington is Antoine Willis. I that's think that's pretty, your comp. That's pretty favorable. I think that's a good comp. I think that's a good comp. And that Willis a very good, you know, plus four who is versatile and can play, but he's a four. He's, you wouldn't play him at five. He's, he's six, eight. So it's kind of similar with Covington. Maybe you hope he, he stretches an inch. Um, that might be where you take a hope, but I think you take him with the expectation of playing him at power forward. Um, and that's why we had talked about him with Charlotte as being a good compliment because if you have an offensive focus center like a Trayvon Miller, Covington on paper could work with that. Yeah, that would be fair. So Covington might be a fit there, but I, I agree after that. I'll tell you about my one prospect to avoid. It's yep. a fellow Villanova player. It's Sasha Fontana. Why do you hate Fontana so much? I mean... And maybe it's because of my own expectations when I recruited him to the team. And by the way, this is going to be a really interesting wrinkle towards human owners having CJBL teams. He just, he he was good defensively, but you just look at him on offense, you know, 8.3 points per game, 7.7 assists per game, shot 35% from beyond the arc, which is not great. Um, 16.3 PER. He just, he was just okay. He does not shoot yet. Yeah. I do you just, think he's safe or do you think he goes into the draft? Oh, I think he goes. I, I, I think he's going. He's also, if I'm reading this right, I think he's a foreign player. Uh, yes. You know, I, don't, I don't think that's Rome, New York. I think that's Rome, like the country Rome. Um, um, Mike, 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 one second. You are aware that Rome is not a country. Rome, country, right? the country Italy. God damn it. I can't get anything <laughs> past you. The country of Italy. Well, look, it's not my fault. Maybe, maybe someone should add the country to the player card. I'm just I saying. Mean, look, it, it was entirely possible that we had jumped in a time machine. I was just seeking clarification. Look, all I'm going to say is that <laughs> when the, uh, you know, look, I, I didn't do too good in my history, okay? That's why I went and became a lawyer, all right? I didn't do too good in my geography. I haven't left the... Uh, I haven't left Pennsylvania in a while. All right. Ugh. So in any event, to go back off tangent, Sasha Fontana sucks. No one should draft him. <laughs> okay. So no one should draft Fontana because he's no good. Look, I think that... Oh, uh, one other thing I, think, I wanted to ask about. Sorry. I think he's I think he's fine. I, I, I think... I would say if you're drafting him, um, and maybe... I, you know, I, I just I worry about the I worry about the shooting. I worry about the lack of offensive production. Just would give me some pause. What do you think? Do you think Rucker is a point guard or a shooting guard in the JBL? Oh God, I've, let me look him up quick while while I stall. Because I, I haven't really. Because no, I think I, I think really that's the interesting question. Because if people perceive Rucker to be a shooting guard, then Fontana is the second point guard on the board. Is he the second coming of Ronshad Fox? Oh, that's a bit rough. Don't you think? Based on that's what? Fair? What, what, what makes you say that? 17.5 points per game, but 3.24 turnovers per game, which is a good amount. Yep. Uh, Jason just said he could be the next Bracey. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, he's got to be ranked in the JBL top 50 next season for that comp to be pulled off. Uh, 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 how was he on defense? Uh, he was okay defensively. He wasn't bad. I think he's – look, I, I don't know. I think he could be – I think he could be pretty good. I think he's. I think he's. I think he's interesting because I think that's what dictates where Fontana got. Uh, one for where Fontana goes because, as said, Rucker also can't shoot. Apparently, twenty nine percent from beyond the arc. Yeah, but not bad from the field overall. Like yeah, still, sure. even with that bad three point shooting, he's still sitting at basically five hundred effective field goal. Got that's to the rim. Problem. Got to the rim five point seven uh, attempts per game. That's pretty good. I mean, compare that to Fontana. Who um, loading, loading, loading? Three point one attempts per game. Yeah. So at least, and, and I would expect that that size, Rucker at six foot five, he'll be able to get to the rim, um, you know, in in the pros in the JBL. Yeah, and, he, and he's already and he's already got a, a decent amount of he's already got enough decent amount of um, sorry, I oh, know he's sorry, I'll take that back, ignore me. Um, I was confusing him and Mac. Max actually got the body size to be uh, fairly aggressive immediately. Whereas Ruck is still a string bean. I don't think it's a bad point guard draft. I mean, even though I just shit on Fontana, I think I think if you're looking for a defensive pass first point guard, um, you just have to really hope his shooting develops, which kind of gives me PTSD to the Medi Brown era. But um, if, if his shooting develops, uh, and and Jason just got it, I, I got on the pod before you gave me the steady part. Um, so because of that, I I, I think that we've got PTSD. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Font- I guess my concern about Fontana is that I look at him right now as high ceiling, low f- uh, high high floor, low ceiling kind of player. If you if you dra- if you draft him expecting a good passer, good defender, um, but not expect much on offense, I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be pl- I think you'll be pleased. If you draft him to be something more than that, kind of prepare for disappointment, as I did, as yeah, I have. So, uh, all right. So, I mean, that's enough talk about the uh, lottery prospects because we really don't know much more. We don't have declarations. We don't have scouting. So we're really just kind of talking out of our buttholes. That's, uh, is this new in some way that I'm not aware of? <laughs> well, we're just talking. I, I feel like at least when we're talking buttholes before you've spent a good time well, that's so we've done edge. no butthole preparing for this draft <laughs> okay so we're jumping back to all right the season reviews yep we got two more teams to talk about and they're going to be pretty fun okay let us jump now to the philadelphia warriors who finished the season with last season with a record of 52 and 30 for a 634 win percentage this season they got back to the very edge of 60 with 59 wins and 23 losses for a 720 win percentage uh that was an increase of 8.5 percent what went right after all of KB's expectation management at the beginning of the season, the team was able to achieve home court in a tough Eastern Conference. The team was able to bring in some quality vets before the season and saw good results from both Banks and Curry. Uh, McConnell had his best year of the best year of his career to date. Uh, and when the team acquired KB dollar sign, there was some evidence that he probably played the most balanced ball of his career uh, in, after he was acquired. Um, and by balance, I mean um, the balance of volume and efficiency. 
that combination of those two aspects. Um, and Collier also had a, a really nice year um, and took some really nice steps, for, uh, strides forwards, particularly shooting the three ball in year two. But that's not the spicy part. Firstly, they choked epically hard in the first round. Oh, that's mean. Are you saying that you make it sound like the Vipers stunk? I thought the Vipers are no, pretty good. No, if year. you are a three seed and you lose in the first round, you choked. Yeah. I don't buy that. Not this year in the East. There was, oh. what, there was what, seven games difference between the two? And Lane missed six games in the midseason? Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you have your spice. This is not this is not RKG's corner. Go ahead. Your spice corner. Um and and the biggest one is um is Drayton Banks Rashad Stevens or is or even more appropriately as I've written in my notes Rashad Stevens is greater than or equal to Drayton Banks. So here's <laughs> all all kidding aside there is I, I am there's, there's one a body thing. of evidence there is a healthy body of evidence at this point that he is a choke artist. Well, well, put it, putting that aside, I do think if there's one thing I'm looking at with this Warriors build is that you have McConnell, you have Keyshawn, you have Drayton Banks. Those are three guys who I think would be pretty high usage guys. Um, and so was Curry, but I, I get the sense Curry is probably not going to be on the roster this year. Do you think there's a way to kind of bounce those three out without someone like, say, McConnell getting the development shaft? No, because I don't think McConnell needs heavy usage to... I don't think McConnell needs to take shots to get development. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I, I, think, I think he's going to handle... The, he's a distributing point guard. He's not a guy... I don't think he's ever going to be the type to average 20 points a game. Like, that's not his... The strength of his game is probably... Like, if you were to project what does an awesome season by McConnell look like, you'd probably say 16 or 17 points... Nine to nine to ten assists, uh, low turnover, a couple of steals, and consistent proper defense rather than just steals. Like not West, not Russell Westbrook, where he gets steals but can't play defense for shit. And part of that would be consistent shooting, I would imagine. Yeah, but look, but having said that, like this season, he had an effective field goal. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong person now. Let me just change it over. I had um. I had McDyess. Right, let me just get to the back. Effective field goal, 50%, 50.1%, which is pretty good. It's a nice improvement from where he was last yeah. season. With that's the it. He, 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 he showed, and that's the biggest thing. He showed clear development in that area. Whereas if you want to look at someone like, you know, if you look at like someone like Banks, because I really want to make the point that he's a choke job, uh, he averaged 22 and a half and 11 and a half. And in your series, he averaged 19.6 and eight and 12. And he shot almost 10% worse, like 0.8, you know, 0.08 worse than he did. He had turned over the ball more. Like, he just wasn't very good. Yeah. Yeah, Banks really did. He really did kind of no-show, um, I thought. Well, to, it got, it got dramatically better. It got dramatically better after the first couple of games. But those first couple of games, I think he was averaging like 10 and 10. Well, and that was basically the difference because, I mean, we stole that, that first game. So, you know, I mean, everything else probably played out to KB's advantage except for the first game and the last game, obviously, in a seven-game series. But, I mean, that's the difference. And the dice injury. Yep. But, I look, mean, I look, 
I, I, I do think moving, I, I think they're going to move away from Curry at the shooting guard and install Collier. And I think that's the right move. And that's going to be a pretty scary starting five next year. Once they get some cohesion together. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think the only other things I had down as negatives, like you could make an argument as to whether the team should have retained price um, because they clearly chose to, to retain McDice long-term rather than price. Uh, which I'm not sure I 100% agree with, but that was the rationale, is that bank, um, that Price and McDice didn't coexist well and that KB, Dolcine and McDice would. Um, but look, I think do in you, terms of this... Think they won't? Do you think they won't cohe- be cohesive together? No, I think KB and McDice will work together better than the other two. Yeah. But I think that's a foul. I think that, that, that's a, the, the, the whole premise is wrong. You could have gotten rid of McDice. And just play oh. price at power forward. Fair. That's that's kind of the way I look at it more than more than the the get you know the more than the whether the whether the, the now the new circumstances will work. I think the new circumstance will work, but I don't think it's a circumstance that needed to exist. And I also think that uh, McDice versus Price won't actually generate that much of a financial saving. As this team, as these players move into you know their second and third contracts, well, and I mean, um, as as McDice gets better and as as he improves, and he's a good three point shooter. I mean, there's no one that's going to let him go for a steal. Six well, foot eleven, like, combo he is, forward. He is a know. he is a power forward who plays really good defense, perimeter and post. He plays really good defense across the board. He can hit threes and stretch the floor. And he doesn't fuck, and he doesn't clash with like your more ball dominant players. That's a valuable asset. Uh, he's never going to be heavily discounted. I wouldn't be surprised if he got maxed. And he go and he went for went to Villanova, so he went to one of the best schools ever. Okay, we're moving past that. So, in terms of what I had down for the future for this team, I think the team obviously Curry and Hall finish up their contracts this year. Um, which basically means the team's going to have close to max. Uh, if they if they completely let those two go, the team would have close to max cap space. I think eighteen after they re-sign um, KB Dollarson. Yep. Um, I could see the team resigning Hall to a minimum contract to keep him as their bench player. I mean, he was still relatively productive as a bench player this year. Um, but I definitely think, as you said, that Curry's gone. I think it's time for them to elevate Collier. And that's probably going to leave them with something like 15 million or so, where the team is able to go and and shop a few and get a few rotation pieces to round out that bench, because they're going to need another shooting guard. Uh, they're going to need another shooting guard. They're probably going to need one more wing player. Yeah, just just round it out with that money. Look for those look for those smart, sensible deals. It's going to be a little bit harder for KB than it has been in the past because you can't rely on the necromancer to elevate shit into. Uh, a functioning player, um, but I think he'll be able to find some decent pieces to round out that rotation. Yeah, they'll have so they have forty one point one million in cap uh, committed for next year, and if they decline Stoudemire and Brookhart, that gets them under forty. Now they have to resign Benjamin, who's likely a twenty million dollar max. But even with that, there's no one else. Presuming, like you said, they let Curry and Hall go. So they will likely have about 18, 18, 19 million under the cap. They don't have to worry about 
any draft picks this year, so they'll have that amount of money to go shopping for some uh, nice depth to really make a strong push next year, uh, especially yeah, if, with if, the Kings getting a little bit weaker. Um, the, the, the Warriors really could probably push for that division next year. I, I think with I think with sorry I think with the fact with that money though like I think with McDice coming down the road they un- with McDice going coming up for a big contract the year after I don't see them blowing it all on one player but what I do see is is KB trying to get you know maybe two or three guys um, on deals that last a while like if you can lock in a good rotation player for four million for four years or something like that that will provide a, a baseline of financial stability as the rest of the roster ebbs and flows. Yeah, I'll be really curious uh, when we get to free agency preview and stuff like that, how much cap room there is to go around. Because I do think this year there's more than last year. But I don't think – I think a lot of the teams are going to be like in the Warriors position where they're not going to be able to splurge on big money, but they're going to – I think it's going to bump well, you, up that four, $5 million, $6 million class. Well, I think I think I think that's absolutely right because there's a hard cap now. Yep. People are people so are going players, to have that, that, those kind of players are going to be more important than ever for depth. Well, that's the thing. You you can you you can't look at the you can't look at your roster like shit. I have two guys that I'm going to have to max next season, but I have thirty million right now. I'm going to spend all thirty million, and then next season I'm going to max those two guys. Like you won't be able to do that anymore. You're going to have to say okay, I can afford to add this piece, but I do need to reserve some capital for next season. You're going to see an element, I think you're going to see a, a degree of financial discipline that even if the money is there, teams may not necessarily just spend it because they have it in the, the same nice, way that they have previously. And I think the nice thing about this, the added benefit, is I think expiring contracts are going to be a lot more valuable. Yeah. Perhaps even and, they were. And, 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 and players who are already on those really good contracts, like... You know, I, I think a player like you know, and I, I'm using I'm using these as examples only because I have them, not because I'm actively trying to shop them right now or anything. But like, can't yeah. write in the line. No, no, look, I, I've no, I've openly acknowledged that. Yeah. I would, I've openly acknowledged that both of them may well be up for trade. I said they're not right now. My point, my point is more. Well, I'd hope not, because trading is not legal right now. You're not having any trade discussions, are you, right now, Ben? You're allowed to have trade discussions. You can't. Uh, you can't actually um, consummate the trade yet. Is the problem? Mm-hmm. My my point is more. I'm not having trade discussions. My point is more that I'm not having any trade discussions right now. There is no one in the league who can wrap me out right now and say that I've had a trade discussion in the last like week. Come on, Kyle. Kyle, there, there's your challenge. I haven't Find had the it. rat. I have not. I have not <laughs> Find the rat, Kyle. <laughs> I have not had a trade discussion in at least a week. Anyway, my point is more that guys like that who are absolutely starter caliber players who are on contracts less than 10 million, I think really are, will become incredibly valuable. Yep. Yep, I agree. It'll be exciting. So we've got one more team to talk about, and then I think we can call it an evening, and that is the Detroit Mustangs. Okay, the Detroit Mustangs. wins and out. Last season, they finished with a record of 47 and 35 for a 573 win percentage. Uh, this season, uh, they made a considerable step forward and finished second in the Eastern Conference with a record of 60 and 22 for a 732 win percentage. An improvement of basically 16%. So, what went right? They won 60 games. 
the Messiah got really good at offense, forcing Andrew to write a, an article about it. Uh, Honey slotted in really nicely um, and, and allowed Hicks to elevate his efficiency. They got the second seed. Rifkin was a nice addition uh, and, and, and helped drive some of that offensive improvement. Um, what went wrong? Uh, Messiah is now officially the pre-championship Dirk Nowitzki. Ooh, that's cold. How about what went wrong, Nate Duncan? Uh, I think I, I think I throw Nate under the. I, I think I gently suggest that Duncan needs to be better in the in the what uh, what happens now part. But um, yeah, look, I think Duncan wasn't great. Uh, I don't think Hicks was great in that playoff series. Um, Obviously, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic in terms of the Nowitzki comparison, but I think that's a really disappointing uh, loss. Uh, and I think, honestly, jokes aside, if that were to happen again next year, um, I think his reputation would be really badly harmed by that. Um, I think the reality is that at the end of the day, this year they just got really fucking unlucky. By yeah. every statistical measure, the jailbirds, the jailbirds were dramatically better than your standard seventh seed. Um, and their ability to play Cheney almost exclusively at point guard um, allowed them to be uniquely positioned uh, to take advantage of the, some of the Mustangs' weaknesses, which is basically Rifkind on defense. Like the Jailbirds, the Jailbirds with their level of playoff experience and having Cheney at point guard were basically a smart bomb. Like well, they were. And, and and Clarkson at center, I mean, versus yep. Walton. Like, that's a mismatch, too. Yep. As, as I said, I just – they were they, – they are very well – in terms of their, their, their um, experience profile, in terms of where the strengths are on their roster, in terms of having those defensively capable but offensively limited guys on the wings who could slow down Honey and Hicks a little bit. Everything – they are just a really nicely constructed roster for that particular matchup. I mean, uh, and, and that was that. And and look, I mean, not the forecast. I I think the Jaybirds, the the Jailbirds Viper series is going to go seven. I think no matter what, it it really is whoever gets through to that conference riot finals round. Um, that's just going to be a fucking buzzsaw with the Kings. So I think the Vipers uh, might I think be able to match bit, up. Is, um, just stop for a second. Aren't the, sure. aren't the Kings only one and one after their two home games? They are only one and one. They are. They have lost the game. I know you're you looking for I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in them. That's a bit soft. Oh, you know what? That's hilarious. I'll, I'll let you. I, I, I won't go down that road. I will take the high road. Oh, you're, you're going to take the high road. I will take the high road. I won't, I won't maybe say bad things about the Kings until they totally and completely flame out. And then <laughs> if they lose four <laughs> games, then I will say negative things. But until then, I'm not going to put anything down on record so that, um, you know, I, I won't get any nasty articles written about me. The Tristan Lane article was actually pretty nice in context. The Cold War yeah. is almost over, Andrew. <laughs> All I have to do is meet him in person. We hashed some things out. He brought me some beer. I'm now on Team Kangs until they lose. <laughs> okay. Uh, but in terms of the future for this team... Um, the team's probably going to have to fill a hole a few slots in their rotation this offseason because it's likely that Dawkins, iMac, and Rice are all unlikely to return. Um, I would guess that the team will also be hoping that Duncan is ready to take a bigger step forward next, a big step forward next year because I think he was 
pretty flat this year overall and down in the playoffs. Um, and with IMAC leaving, there's there's a, a there's minutes there that are his for the taking, and he probably needs to do better than he did this year. Um, I would suggest that given how strong their offense was at a starter level this year and how weak their defense uh, became, I would probably be looking at more defensively minded additions to the team rather than offense. Um, so for instance, no, no Quentin Russ again. Um, but look, at the end of the day, this was a year early for the Mustangs. Um, it's disappointing that they lost the opportunity to gain an extra series or so of playoff XP. I think that would have been the best case scenario this year was to win two series and then get buzzsawed uh, by either the Huskies or the, or the Kangs um, before they went out. So this has cost them some experience. But beyond that, um, the end result was the same. They were never going to win a championship. Well, the, and the problem is you talk about things to add. So they're going to have $98.6 million in cap committed to seven players next year because the Robinson extension isn't on here yet, but I, I believe he signed one. So, um, and that includes the Nate Duncan team option. So they'll have Bender, Duncan, Hicks, Honeycutt, Rifkind at $4.5 million, Robinson, and Walton. So, and no MLE because they're at 104.7 this year. Yep. So they're looking at Minsal. Yeah, some smart Minsal shopping. Yeah, I mean that's... But that's what I said. Like, but that's why I'm saying like you're looking for guys who can play defense. You're just looking for a few guys who can play small roles that play defense. But do you think the Cyclones and even let's say the Warriors have more upside than the Mustangs do at this point? Based on what <sighs> they can do. It depends on whether if it depends on if you believe that the Messiah and Hicks and Walton have peaked. I mean, because I think Messiah's with the Cyclones, Messiah is going to be twenty-six. I know, but if you're thinking about the Cyclones, right? I think it is fair to say that Goodwin, Gamble, and Tucker are all at their peak. Right. I'm not a hundred percent sure that you can say that about the big three on the Mustangs. Hicks will be 25, Robinson will be 26. I mean, Robinson will be 26, and then who's the other? Walton will be 24. Walton probably That's still it. has some room to grow. Yeah. Look, they, as I said, I'm not suggesting it's likely they do, but I think the answer to that question is dictated by whether you think that if the big threes are both maxed out on both teams, then I think the Cyclones have more upside because they have young talent on the bench that hasn't peaked. Yeah. Um, if you think that the Mustangs have one or two guys in their starting lineup that can get better, then I think the answer swings back the other way. That's my, that's my my honest answer. Because I think, you know, whilst you uh, made the comment that the Cyclones were integrating a, a fairly significant new piece this year, the Mustangs also were in terms of Honeycutt. True. No, that's a so, fair point. If you're going to say that about the Cyclones, and the Warriors obviously were doing the same. So you I, think think the Warriors, that- I think the Warriors were doing it. I think the Warriors... <laughs> Uh, I think the Warriors are in a far worse position than the others because they integrated basically a whole new team and then made a trade mid-season. So if you're looking at cohesion, I think the Warriors probably had the worst cohesion in the entire Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think that's fair. And they still won 50-some games at home court. So Yep. It'll be, the East will be really interesting next year, once again. I look forward to watching it down from the cellar. 
<laughs> I'll, pick, I'll pick through the I'll pick through the floorboards every now and then and see what's happening up in the big house. Uh, all right. So I th- I think that's uh, that's all to talk about tonight, right? I believe that is everything. Yeah. So um, we'll I guess be back next week. Will next week be mock draft time? Maybe. Oh, I think I think I think following our schedule from last year, the next one we did was a finals preview. Okay. Uh, and we and as part of the finals preview, since there's not that much to talk about with the finals preview, we also covered off the other teams that had been eliminated. So yeah, I would not be surprised if our next format was a finals preview, as well as a uh, as uh, adding a few more teams, another four teams to this list of teams that we have reviewed. Man, well, just before it'll be six, six, yeah. Yes, my apologies. It will be six. See, yep. I don't know my countries, but you don't know your math. So take and that. and take that for by, data. And by then, and by then, it may very well be time for me to break my Kyle ban. Oh, you've already broken your Kyle ban all no, over the chat. I said on the podcast that I won't have, or I won't talk shit on the pod. I never said I wasn't going to talk shit in channel. Yeah. See, I like how you change the rules. No, I've added, a, I've added an addendum to the rules after the fact. <laughs> All right, well, that's, that, that's, enough, uh, that's enough cheating for the evening, so uh, I think that's a good place to leave it. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you next week, and uh, we'll be back to talk more silliness and JBL, hopefully more JBL than the silliness. Yep, and apologies for the mic difficulties halfway through. I hope it doesn't uh, impact your experience uh, listening to us too much. It probably didn't. All right, everyone. Good night. Catch up. Bye.